0: Hey everybody, Robert with RC Archery, and you're listening to Archery Vision, podcast number nine. What's going on, everyone? So, been a little bit since I've done a podcast. I guess it's been about two weeks. Missed uh, last week with work. Didn't really have a ton of time to do much of anything. And then uh, this week, I was going to do one over the weekend, and the first part of this week to get it out on Monday. But... Came down with, uh, I don't know, some kind of head cold, something. I don't know. But anyways, I didn't have a voice on Monday morning, so it wouldn't have been very good. And even today, I'm a little bit uh, hoarse and still kind of messed up on my voice. I probably sound a little different than normal, but the show will go on. And I will still make uh, make some uh, podcast information come out. So I put out an Instagram questionnaire. I was going to answer some of the questions on that. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, target panic, aiming anticipation problems, and then uh, go over the latest goings on with YouTube and what happened with the video. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about the questions first, run through that, um, and then we can go into the target panic stuff, and then I'll close it out with the YouTube channel and and what happened with the video getting uh, removed by YouTube. So... (laughs) First question here is from knock underscore ordi. This says preferred amount of preload on the back wall and how does it vary during execution? So the preferred amount of preload for me is pretty simple and it basically just boils down to creating enough tension by pushing the bow towards the target and pulling away from the target with my release hand until my sight picture steadies up and basically i've just do this kind of slowly as i get into anchor and kind of settle in and create that tension and um you you kind of feel it after a while i mean you're going to get to know kind of what it looks like what it feels like and and it'll become normal but some days are going to change and sometimes shots change from one to the other so that's something to kind of think about when you're doing this but Basically, what I do is just create that tension. Look for my sight picture on target. Try to steady up the most, and then once it's gotten there, that's kind of where I start. Variance through execution on the preload, or you know, just the amount of tension that I've built up, I I probably have a slight increase in tension, but it's not a ton. Basically, what I do with my release and what I'm doing with my execution, I use a hinge release. I keep my index as relaxed as it can be. Um, obviously, to still hold on to the release, but basically drawing the bow back and feeling it kind of depress into the finger and feel you know, that kind of feeling. And if I don't get that depression into the hand and kind of that finger relaxing a little bit there, I know that I'm a little too tense. And when I'm going through that, as I get to anchor, I'm adding some pressure in with my middle finger, getting to the click, and then I pull my release arm back but the reason it's going backwards is because I'm kind of letting the release rock through my fingers, so it's rotating and rocking through my fingers, and I mean, it's not a ton. I use a, a short click shelf on my release, so there's not a lot of movement at all that's needed, so there's not a lot of perceived motion, whether what I feel or what you can see you know, by looking at my shot, but my arm is moving back enough to take up the slack and to maintain the tension, overall tension in the system. So that's just kind of my shot and how it breaks down and how it works oddly enough that's actually what the video on YouTube is about that got removed by YouTube so (laughs) that video is going to be back up this week though so you'll be able to see it I'm going to try to get it re-uploaded tonight I don't think I'll have any issues with it after the fact I shouldn't have had any to begin with but um, it looks like it'll be back up and be able to view um, later this evening or tomorrow if you're listening to this on Wednesday the 19th of February so Great question, Um, that's kind of what I look at though, it's just creating a good amount of tension in the body to have a steady sight picture and then maintaining that to be able to execute. Next question here is Daniel uh, Fetchak, maybe, maybe that's how you pronounce it, It says what size dot do you use for indoors, do you recommend small or one that covers the 9 and the 10 ring? So I've done both and really this is going to, it boils down to personal preference. Everybody's going to see something different and need something different in their shot, the, and, and it may change over time. So the idea behind having a, a larger dot that covers, say, the 10 ring on um, a Vegas face, and then maybe even the 9 ring as well on a Vegas face, or what you're looking at like an NFAA 5 spot would be all of the white is that one, you won't hone in on individual arrow holes on target, and that can help a lot of archers because they won't kind of gravitate towards certain holes in the target, so that can be good. And then also, some people, it just is more calming to them to see that kind of side picture, so you're not hyper-focusing on an X or you know trying to over-aim, so that can help you a lot. Um, I tried that and felt pretty good with it for a while, but I started to notice that I wanted to peek around it because I needed to see the X and kind of see where I was aiming at. So for me, it created more of a problem um, in the long run, as far as what I was aiming, and just kind of it made my execution hang up some, and it just didn't work well for me. Personally, I use a pin, and I use the size of the pin as a a, a 19 pin, but it's lighted, so I can adjust the brightness of the light to perceive a bigger or smaller pin and aim, uh, aiming reference rather. So if I'm somewhere where it's bright, then I can have a bright pin and it keeps everything relatively the same. Or if I go to an indoor range and it's darker, then I can lower the brightness down on my uh, Zebra sight light. And then I can still keep the aiming perception of the size and everything the same. So it's not overwhelming in that point. So just uh, that that's what I like to personally use. And here in America where I don't have to deal with uh, world archery rules, I can use that lighted pin. So it's good. I have mine where it'll cover the X on a Vegas face and the majority of the tin ring. It doesn't cover it all though because I like to see my pin moving around inside the tin or around the tin or wherever it is that day or whatever it's doing. But it helps me have a reference so I can look at it. And I've talked about this in the past with aiming and I'll just briefly touch on it again, but in my opinion with what I've noticed on my aiming and a lot of other people is you pretty much have two, you have a, a total window, shot window of where you have really good float to your shot breaking down because your muscles and an oxygen depletion or whatever's going on and then within that you have two individual windows most people do where they have good float and you'll see one early on you're getting on target you're settled in your eye saw the x or whatever you're aiming at you cover it up and everything floats really well You have a little break where your brain says, I need to move that because I need to see if whatever I'm aiming at is still there and then it puts it back and then you have another good section. And that's what I noticed in my shot execution and why I have a smaller pin compared to other people that have a larger one that covers a lot more of the target. Try both. It's not gonna hurt to try both and just test it and see how your scores do over time and, and see what your groupings look like over time because again, it's personal preference. But me personally, that's just, that's how I use it. Brian Klabowski had a fun one he sent one in he's a uh, I've talked to him off and on on Instagram but he asked me what would your FarmersOnly.com profile look like and I laughed and I didn't have an answer that I'm going to repeat back here but I'll let y'all kind of waver at that maybe you want to comment below put that in the podcast or you comment on a video or or have some fun with it on Instagram with me but uh I don't know you tell me what do you think it would look like i'm not i don't i mean i live in the country-ish but not at the same time it's grown up over the years um yeah so i don't know we'll see definitely um definitely don't n- not real fond of sheep we'll leave it at that um ld pace ask sequence order for complete bow tune and then he gave an example bear shaft, knock paper french tune tort tune all that so if i take a brand new bow and I'm looking at it all, I'm going to check the specs, set everything. Um, well, first of all, so I use I use a draw board and I use a scale because I don't go off of ATA and brace height and all the, the readings on there. That's just a starting point for people that don't have a scale to see if your cam rotation is starting in the correct spot and rotating in the correct spot and peak weight and everything. And it just gives you a variation of a range and you can get close that way. For me, I want it to be super precise because I know what I need. So I use a scale. I'm going to draw it back. I'm going to check peak weight. I'm going to check your holding the holding weight on the bow because that tells me let off percentage and I do the formula and calculation for that. And then I measure the draw length. And then from there I set everything up and just kind of get it all working. At that point, put everything, you know, on the bow that needs to be on there, get it all running. Um, I set it all down the middle. So like my arrow rest is in the middle of the riser or the middle of the limb bolts. If it's not the same, I choose the limb bolts because that's going to be more the center of the string um, with the string path rather. So I set my rest up like that and then I take arrows that I've pre-built to a degree on, on target two and it gives me an idea of the range where I need to be at. And I'm going to shoot them through paper as a bear shaft. I've got them marked and... I basically at that point just rotate the nocks and rotate the arrow. I start out top, you know, with with the arrow in there a certain way. Flip it 180, go to 90, and then go from there. Basically, what I'm looking for at that point is the smallest tear through paper because that's going to give me the best and easiest method of tuning from that point. And then I'll go through and do that um, with all my arrows and then I'll start tuning from there. And that does a couple things. It just sees if I have variations in the arrow or something going on, but it also makes sure that I'm not tuning my bow to a bad arrow. So I do that with all my arrows that I'm gonna use first and then paper tune it. I shoot from six feet away. I don't get really in depth on paper tuning. I go for a bullet hole if I can get it, um, adjust the cams, you know, or yokes or whatever you have, right? Um, If it's a big tear, use the cams. Smaller tears, micro adjust with the rest. Um, Try to get a bullet hole that way from that point. I'm going to fletch the arrows I'm going to reshoot them through paper make sure that I don't have any weird fletching contact Any variations from the fletching or anything going on like that and everything is still giving me a bullet hole and then What I'm going to do from there is go outside. I Torque tune the bow next because I feel like if I can eliminate that variable it makes the rest of the tuning process a lot easier I torque tune to begin with at 20 yards, step back to 30, maybe even 40, but usually 20, 30 yards, I can torque tune there and I can get it pretty close. And it's good enough at that point for for what I'm doing, you know, for how I'm tuning it. And I can get it to where a lot of the variance is gone or all the variance is gone that way, depending on the bow and the setup and what's going on. Um, After I torque tune, I do a French tune and I shoot at 20 yards and then I shoot at 40 yards, get everything lined up between the sight and the rest, use the rest for um well let me back up I use the sight up close at 20 yards zeroed in left and right up and down if you want to but mostly left and right because that's what we're tuning go back to 40 yards use the rest there and it's just a back and forth and and getting it going but if you did a good job paper tuning and you have good repeatable form you don't have crazy contact on your face with the string or anything this process is pretty easy because you're already pretty close to there or you're basically there at that point um, at that point in time um, you know I mean as far as what I'm doing if I want to I'll group tune usually I group tune um, especially if it's indoors I just start shooting indoor rounds and see if I notice any variations in holes and patterns left right up and down micro adjust the rest a little bit here and there see if I can close those patterns up see if I maybe need to adjust the arrow a little bit more change the point weights stuff like that Um, one point that I did miss that I noticed just now when I was looking back at notes when I'm, not, when I'm doing the torque tuning, right after I torque tune, I'll do, um, um, going blank. Sorry, guys. What I'm going to do is do just, you know, like a variation of up and downs, highs and lows, and, um, I'll pull back creep tuning. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> It's all live, guys. I'm not going to edit this out. You're going to get what you get on here. If I make a mistake, you get to hear it. So creep tuning. Basically what I'm doing with that is I just go up to the target. I usually do this at 20 yards. Um, If I have a lot of variance for whatever reason on a bow, I'll start at 10 and then work my way back. But I usually start at 20 yards. I'm going to shoot at a target. Um, A lot of the times I just shoot at a Vegas target. You can shoot at the top edge of a target. You can make a line on there. Um, I think Greg Poole calls this line tuning. I call it creep tuning and group tuning. Um, same thing, but however it works best for you for an aiming reference on your your eyes and what you need to look at. But I shoot a normal shot. I pull really hard. I shoot a shot, and I'll let the bow get... I, I get loose in my shot. I get relaxed, so simulating me breaking down and kind of collapsing, and I don't know if the stops really creeping off the string or if it's just a weak shot or whatever you want to call it, but um, creeping, and then I shoot one there and see what my variances are, and then I adjust for that and then I go into the rest of the tuning process that we were talking about before. So um, it's just kind of eliminating the variables with the knock tuning, or with the, uh, well with knock tuning, with the arrows. Um, it's also eliminating a variable when you do the torque tune and then when you do the creep tune. And then from that point, it's just easier for me to tune the rest of it. Tommy Swart asks, missing to the left when tired, why? So there's a couple things that can happen with that. If it's when you're tired, what I notice with my shot and, and others as well is you're not pulling through as hard you may also be kind of protecting your aim when you're tired because you see a little bit more float and you're trying to micromanage the float so you get weak on the back end and you're not pulling through and what that will cause is you actually push the shot off so you're pushing too much with the bow arm you're trying to activate it by pushing with the arm and as a right-handed archer you can swing left that way another thing that you can be doing too is getting weak on the back end and the release hand coming out and away from the face, and that can cause a left miss too. So that's a couple things that I would look at right off the bat. Um, If you're a left-handed archer, you're probably collapsing, which this would be the opposite for right-handed. If you're right-handed missing low right, you'd probably be collapsing. But if you're left-handed, left and low left misses, and basically just the, the collapsing part is getting weak on the shot and the bow arm is kind of coming in towards the release hand, and that's just allowing the arm to come in you know, that direction and, and dropping. So left for a lefty, right for a righty. That's a couple of things that I would look at on there and um, just try to check. Make sure your peep and your scope is being lined up the same. You're not adjusting or changing your head position or anything crazy like that. So just kind of you know check those out. Jack underscore Stevens, 1121. Thoughts on spot hog archery sites? Personally, I think they're built really well from the ones that I've seen in person. I had a buddy of mine that used one on his bow for a long time. They're very well built. They're pretty tough sights. Uh, they're machined well, they're made well. It's quality you know, material and a, a quality product, but they're super stinking heavy, at least the ones that I've seen. And that, I think that pretty much deters it for me. <laughs> Just too much weight in that area. I'd rather have weight on my stabilizers away from the riser versus weight being on the riser like that, it gives me a better shot gives me a better aim, um, that's just kind of my thoughts, now there may be new ones that I haven't seen, but the ones that I have seen, that would be my thoughts on there, and just kind of how I feel about it, so just to to give you an idea, but yeah, so I use um, Axle Archery Sights, I have a carbon sight rod, I use Shrewd Scope, um, that's my preferred setup, and then I would vary from that a little bit when I was doing like a hunting setup or something. I would probably still use an Excel site and some form of shirt scope. I just think those products are really good. They're well made. And for me personally, what I'm looking for, I like them a lot. There's others out there that are extremely good as well. So it's not just that one that's good, there's others too. Um, that's just personally what I use. That's all the questions I got. And that's the ones that I wanted to answer. Um, real quick, I wanted to talk about some target panic. I get a lot of people uh, sending me questions talking to me about low hold on target, freezing on target, not being able to execute, jumpiness, things of that nature. First and foremost, the first thing I want to say to you is if you're not using a resistance release, take your release that you're using, hide it, give it away, sell it, do something, buy a resistance release, and only use that. Target panic, anticipation, aiming issues, freezing, all this stuff, it's a mental thing. And a lot of it is based off of the same thing that our brain does for people that have obsessive compulsive disorder, so OCD. So if you look at it from that point, from a medical standpoint, then there's different ways to treat it. There's a lot of different studies out for OCD. If you want to, you know, Google it, you can look at them. I've done a lot of study on this because I was going to do um, an instructional video that I sold just for Target Panic, and I may still do it at some point, I just haven't. It's pretty in depth, it would be a lot of work to put it together, a lot of research and a lot of planning, and I've done a lot of it already, but I wasn't finished. Um, But a lot of it was medical research that I was looking at, trying to come at it from a different standpoint of understanding the target panic situation with us, and um, trying to attack it in a different manner, and not necessarily different in in the idea of drills but attacking it different from a mental standpoint, so people would understand better why it's happening, because I personally feel like if you can understand why something is going on and why it's happening, it's easier to correct. But to give a super, super short and quick overview, target panic, aiming, freezing, all those problems, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. OCD is your brain's response to a situation. So a lot of the times you see people in the world with OCD, maybe they're, um, they walk through a door, they think something bad's going to happen because they step through it with their right foot first instead of their left foot. So they walk back the other way through the door, they do it again left foot first. That's an example. Relate that back to what we're doing. You see the pin, pin sees the middle, you see the pin covering the middle of the target, you see the middle of the target, you see them go together, bam, that's a shot. Shot has to happen at that point. Slam a trigger. It's a reaction to what you're seeing. Same thing with the aiming and freezing low. The dot can't cover the target because you need to see the middle of the target. So you see the middle of the target and the dot hangs out below it and you can't pull the dot up there because it feels like there's 20 pounds of weight on the bow. Because you have to see the target, that's your brain's response to that. Um, You can relate all that together and if you look at it from a mental standpoint, relating it together. The problem with People that have OCD is the same as what we have in archery with people that have target panic. It, you can't cure it. It doesn't get cured. It doesn't permanently go away. You find a way to manage it. And you manage it as best as you can. So in the medical world, when you look at OCD, there's a lot of coping mechanisms. There's a lot of exposure therapy. There's um, different things that you can do. Right, a lot of studies on this that you can find. Uh, the one that I really prefer to use is one from Stanford, and <clears throat> basically, what it is is the what I like to use is basically like a form of exposure therapy when it comes to archery, and it's reintroducing everything, and it's doing it in a a planned step by step process. Take the target away, develop a good shot, get consistency, bring the target in up close develop the shot, work it back out. And there's way more that goes into that. I have drills and stuff that I've set up and, and talked about and written about. Um, you can go to my my website, com. There's a blog article tab at the top. You can click on that. There's fighting target painting drills. There's um, mindset stuff. There's a couple different things that I've done with it. But the thing that I see common problem about everybody that has target panic, well, I take that back, most everybody that has target panic, they won't put the continued effort into the boring part. They're hardwired in the way that their brain works to just see a result. They want to be there right then. They want to put in the effort until they see a a glimmer of hope and then think they're cured and go right back to what they were doing, and then it happens again. And unless you're 100% on a certain level on each step, and you have been consistently with no hiccups, there's no need to move back. So if this is something that you really want to get rid of, it's going to take time. There's no shortcuts. There's no hacks. There's no anything. It just takes time, and you have to find a way to manage it. And you're going to have to force yourself to put in the effort and the work and the boringness in order to do it. That's the best thing that I can say. But get the resistance release. That's the first place to start. Because you can't manipulate it. You can't slam a trigger on it. You can't quick rotate through the hinge. You have to use the correct muscles in your body. You have to set the bow up the correct way for you. Your draw length has to be correct. Your loop length has to be correct. Your peep pipe has to be correct you have to follow the steps and then when you're executing you're using the correct muscles and you're learning what they quote-unquote call a surprise shot and basically it's going to be a window in which the shots going to happen and you know that window is going to be there but you're going to learn how to manage that window to where you're confident in the shot happening within that because that will help because you know the shot will happen or You're confident in knowing that when you exceed that window, the time frame, that the shot's not going to happen and you're going to restart. And that's what you kind of have to look at, not forcing anything, allowing it to happen. So that's the quick and dirty version of this. I can go on for an hour or more on this subject and get really in depth with it, but that's just... Super fast overview and a couple things that you can do by going on my website looking at my blog and looking at the articles That I've written scroll through them find the ones that I've done over time Kind of give you an idea of drills to do and then the mental side and the beating target panic and all that kind of stuff and just kind of Maintaining it. So, you know look at it that way Um, Last thing real quick. Let's talk about the video. I don't know YouTube is I mean it's no secret. We see it all the time. I mean, most of the people that are going to follow archery stuff are going to look at guns. They're going to look at um, videos revolving around that or other topics right? that YouTube deems bandworthy worthy or they don't want on there and they take the videos down. Um, they'll demonetize a lot of them. They'll take a lot of them down. They'll have a lot of problems with them for whatever reason. A video that I did standing in my garage with a hinge release to teach people six steps on how to set them up and use them and do your shot and aim and all the fun stuff that goes along with that got taken down. So um, looked at what YouTube gave me as as an idea on why and then adjusted it, redid the video completely as far as my editing and what I did with it, still the same content just change the part that they weren't happy about and yeah i'm gonna re-upload it tonight and hopefully fingers crossed it stays if you already got to watch it i mean there was like almost 800 views on it already so if you already got to watch it watch it again give me my views back (laughs) click on it watch two seconds of it click off (laughs) um but no just in all seriousness i mean hopefully it stays up there this i think it's a really cool video because i mean it's six steps to understanding them, setting speed, setting finger pressures, doing your execution method, um, you know, looking at bow setup, all that kind of stuff, so it was really good. Um, I like it a lot, so hopefully that'll be able to to stay up and running and everything work and everything's good going forward, and I'll note to self on what to do with videos, hopefully that doesn't keep happening on my channel or happen again, but yeah, I appreciate y'all watching. Um, Support me on Patreon look me up patreon slash forward slash RCR Tree. you want to you know there's different levels on there help out on here there's a raffle going on on my instagram channel if you haven't checked that out it's your choice if you win it's your choice of a knock-on release or a fletching pack which it's a jig it's veins it's um arrow wraps it's glue it's the AAE wipes all that kind of stuff all that good stuff off of his website and um full-on package get you ready to go on fletching um i think i even put in the aero pad so pretty cool deal um but yeah that, that's on there ordered the bow already for the guy that won the bow adam adam um is a marine so it's pretty pretty cool deal the way it worked out waiting on that bow to come in he got a pse super focus platinum uh right hander 60 pounds got it coming in he's gonna get um pretty cool looking strings I'm going to leave that for when we get the the bow in and hopefully he'll give me some pictures after they're on because they're going to look pretty awesome um, unless he wants me to put them on I did not ask him that yet so we'll see I may take some pictures if I get to put them on but pumped about that sounds like it's going to be a couple more weeks he's in uh, training right now anyway so he wouldn't be able to get back to me to, to get it but I know his address so I can ship it to him when he gets there so awesome stuff Appreciate the support, appreciate the views, watching, sharing, all that fun stuff, guys. Thank you again uh, for listening to me rant ramble and talk. And uh, yeah, guys, talk to you soon.